discover Star Trek Discovery with us as we recap and critique the episodes with a little sass and humor. Okay, maybe a lot of sass and laughter. Ready to laugh with us? Hello and welcome to Trekkie and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. I'm Monika. And I'm Andrea. And let's get started. We are on episode six of season two, Sounds of Thunder, or Sound of Thunder. So a quick little recap, this episode is all about Saru and his home planet. When the new signal appears, the crew of Discovery, they are now rushing to Saru's home planet to figure out what is going on and try to figure, and he tries to figure out what this new reality means for him. So let's go ahead and get into it. Initial reactions. What did you think of this episode? So first of all, I want to backtrack to our last podcast episode and apologize because you were right. You were right. You were right. I misunderstood. So the spear signals triggered Saru's Vihar process and the like the ganglia coming out. I thought that that was part of maturity, but um, just wanted to set that record straight. Hats off to you for making that big connection. And oh. overall, though, I like the episode and I'm looking forward to talking about it. I'm going to give it four snaps. <laughs> and I really like the beautiful scenes. I love Saru's quarters. Looking forward to talking about that more. I love the costumes, um, the makeup, and the dialogue. What about you? So I'm dead inside, people, as we know, um, because I hated this episode. I hated every, no, that's a lie. I didn't hate every second. I loved the very beginning when we talked, when we talked to Hugh. I loved that. But like everything else with Saru felt so forced that I just could not believe any of it. I just, nothing resonated with me. Everything was a stereotypical response to him not having his threat ganglia. I just felt like a lot of his actions did not fit the character and they just kept trying to mix logic and lughead and it just wasn't working well. Because in one sentence, he's being super logical and then literally the next sentence, he's getting all angry and pissy and I just strongly dislike this episode. <laughs> like at the end of it, I'm sort of upset it ended on a good note. Like I, that's how much I, I was like, this episode needed so much more than what it was given. So let's go ahead and take a deeper dive into it and we can discuss why you loved it and why I did it. <laughs> okay. Can we start with Hugh? Yes. Can we start with Hugh? Okay. So Hugh went through a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. over the past six or nine months how lo however long he was in the network what do you think about him now I think he, so there was a the story that um Paul talked about the fact that um he didn't have the scar anymore and the scar he got the scar hiking and it was because of the scar and like the person who came and saved him and was so selfless um, is the reason he wanted to become a doctor and he no longer has that scar and he doesn't feel like he's himself. He admits to Saru early in the episode, like, I just don't feel like me. And everyone's giving him the scientific answer. Oh, but you're hundred percent you, like you're exact, you're exact DNA copy. And it's not, he's not, cause he still knows he died. This wasn't like him in a coma. This wasn't like Ash put him in a coma. It wasn't like, um, Ash beat him up really badly and he's healing. Like he died he knows he was dead 
And the way that he came back with such a painful reaction, I, I don't know if he's still, like, I, I get the feeling that we're going to lose him for a bit. Um, as in he's going to go off and try to find himself again because he's not the same Hugh. Genetically, yes. Mentally, he's not. And like you said, he's been through a lot of trauma. And sometimes trauma can make you change your mind on your life goals. Who's to say that he still wants to stay on the ship? Right. Who's to say that he wants to do anything that Starfleet is doing? He's seen so much war, so much pain. He's been murdered. Right. <laughs> so I... Yeah. I and he think- had to learn how to survive in that network with the bark by putting bark on him. So he always, mm-hmm. he looked really afraid and scared. Like it, that just seems like a whole, like dying is trauma, traumatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that whole network situation and being isolated for that long and learning how to like live in that environment just seems like that was crazy. And only and- knowing pain in that environment, pain and fear that can mentally warp someone. So I think we're going to lose him for a bit. I don't think we're going to lose him forever. Um, I hope Paul understands, but I think we're going to lose him for a bit. Because also Ash is on the boat, on the, on the boat, on the ship. And Ash murdered him. <laughs> so I think Queenie needs to leave the ship. Because right. if I was him, I was like, oh, Ash is here? So technically I'm dead. I'm not a, I'm not a person because I'm legally dead. So legally you have no control over me. Okay. I'm going to mur- murder him. Right. I'm going to murder him. I would have killed Ash if I was you. I would have just murked him. You murked me. I murked you back. Eye for an eye. You didn't go to jail for killing me. Right. He thought like, can you imagine how he might must feel? I wonder if he actually knows. Like this man had no consequences to murdering a Starfleet officer, and he's back on the ship, promoted. Right. Right. Yeah, and then if he's, if he's new, if, if he was like, an, I don't know how to say this, but does he remember all the medicine that he learned? Like all of the, everything else that he's learned over the years to be in that position, to be in that, that job. I, I think it's going to take a while to become a doctor again, to be in that role again, to help other people when you're, when you still also have to deal with yourself mm-hmm. and understanding yourself. And I appreciate the fact that the very next episode after Hugh left um, the network, he's not in the, um, I don't know, he's not helping in, in, helping as a doctor i'm glad that they're thinking about oh there's cause and effect here that we need this character needs some additional development <laughs> and reflection ptsd yes. this is a big experience um yeah, definitely agree they definitely need to give him some time to come to terms with his new reality um i i fear i fear that Paul's not going to understand at first. I hope he does. I really hope he does because Paul also sort of went through something traumatic as well. Um, I don't know because Paul is, was so excited and he was sort of like, he wasn't really noticing that he wasn't happy during that whole t- talk with the doctor. 
that he was just like, I, I'm like, he was giving off an air of anxiety and Paul was just so happy to have him back that he didn't realize it. So I think there's going to be a huge argument between them. I think there's going to, like, they're not going to break up because they're my dream team. If they break up, I'm going to like be more dead inside. Um, but I think he was like, I'm going to have to leave for a bit because yes, it's a miracle that he's alive. Yes, it's amazing that he's back, but people are forgetting he remembers being murdered. Mm-hmm. He, he like, he has all the same memories because he knew he was like, he didn't realize the scar was missing, but he remembered everything about that event. He was like, it wasn't 30, 30 meters. It was 15 meters. Um, and so like, even when he was trying to come to terms with that, it was like, he was almost remembering it as it was happening to him. Um, and so I think you're right. He's not going to come back as a doctor. Um, even, even if he does remember everything about being a doctor, it's all going to, he was killed helping someone as a doctor right yeah how are you ever going to want to work with someone who's in an agitated state knowing what happened to you last time you weren't just attacked you were literally murdered so i wonder how i wonder what happens if ash sees him or if he sees ash because i want him to beat the ever-loving brakes off of ash and ash just take it like legit because how can you look someone in the eye knowing you murdered them and you did not suffer a single repercussion starfleet didn't do anything to you because now you're working on section 31 you were allowed to leave and go live with the vulcan you are now technically you're still within the role you're still yeah you're in a shadow organization but you still but nothing, like literally nothing happened. And he was going to, ha- like, how do you, how do you still work with an organization that didn't get you any justice for your death? I, I couldn't do it. I'm like, oh, so word, word. He gets to stay and he got promoted and he still gets to work with the Starfleet and he murdered a fellow Starfleet officer right. regardless of the fact that Volk is in his head. And yes, I know I said that, but he's back. It changes right. everything. Right. I first want to say he and Paul can come up with a way to kill Ash and no one will ever know. <laughs> well, I'm also delighted to see that Pike is not like completely enamored by Ash. Like take it, like oh. Pike has his guard up and he's concerned and I'm glad to see that as well. And um, like you, I'm wondering if maybe Hugh and Paul experience something different and may grow apart i'm hoping not like you i'm hoping not but yeah <laughs> i that's, feel like there's big big differences right now and mm-hmm. and no i agree i think i think you're right i think they are going to grow apart i don't think it's going to be forever but i think it's it's something that's going to be needed where Hugh's going to have like Hugh has to come to terms with the fact that he was dead and he has to come to terms with the fact that he's alive and he has to come to terms with his mortality because he's he's faced it so no I think they are going to grow apart and it's going to break my heart and I'm going to cry and I'm going to like sob and be like no my dream team what are you doing and then they're going to get back together and then I'll be happy I hope I hope people I hope (laughs) Okay, so oh, sorry, go ahead. 
So let's take a quick break and then we'll return and talk about Saru and the Kelpians. Yay, fun. <laughs> we'll be right back. And welcome back to the second half of Trek and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. So we have a lot to talk about in the second half. Um, some of you guys will be happy. Some of you guys will be like me, dead inside. And <laughs> we're gonna see who's the nice people. Monika's nice, and she's 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 a, she's the one who has the love in her heart. She's not dead like me. So she likes this episode. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you talk about what did you like about the Kelpian part of seeing of this episode. Okay, so last episode, Saru lost his gangula, and um, uh, now he's fearless, and he's fearless in felt free to sit in a captain's chair a little longer than he should have. <laughs> Just a little longer. The point Pike had to look him in that, like, what's she doing, dude? <laughs> he also snapped back a few times at Captain Pike when Captain Pike was uh, giving orders to the bow, bow. bow. And he, um, Pike asked Saru to be quiet and Saru did not. Saru decided to speak up. Saru is acting like a little word that I cannot say on this PG podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Saru seemed to have lost his, I don't know, his filter and also like um, uh, um, understanding of command. Yes. <laughs> like he has no dis no regard now to authority and the process. And he was a big stickler for the processes previously. So it's interesting now that in his case, he feels free to do like almost anything that he wants, um, how that is then, how that ripples to the rest of the community. And it seems like Pike was like, look, I understand that you're going through something right now but you need to leave the bridge. And so now. I thought that that was very diplomatic of Pike because Pike could have done other things. And it looked like the crew was also ready to interject as well. They noticed that uh, Saru was acting up and um, was ready to get, put him in check and protect their new captain over Saru. So I thought that that was an interesting play there. Because he um, was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. He was absolutely wrong. <laughs> like I'm a very, I have very bad secondhand embarrassment, awkward stuff. Like literally things on TV like that are physically hard for me to watch. And I just was screaming, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Right. <laughs> physically, it is hard for me to like watch stuff like that. It gives me such bad secondhand, like embarrassment and anxiety. Like physically, my whole body has like a reaction to it. And I'm just screaming to Saru, shut up, shut up. Like, what are you doing? You no longer having fear does not knock out, like you said, your understanding of command. Right. And the interesting piece of irony for me is that just an episode or two ago, Tilly had, was going through issues on the bridge with May and she was acting up. And But Tilly knew that, I need to leave the bridge. Tilly even said that. I'm stepping down from this. I need to go to my room. So I felt like even Tilly was more of an adult. She gets four snaps. 
<laughs> than, than Saru at that moment, because Saru could not put himself in a check. And Saru did not have some other being inside of him. <laughs> so this was interesting. <laughs> Um, and I'm also concerned and uh, about <clears throat> the red angel that lured them there and why the red angel seems to be like taking them on these missions. Does the red angel have another motive? Does the red angel want them to solve a problem? What it, there's a lot of <clears throat> co coincidences and normally in storylines, it's not really a coincidence. So yeah. we'll see how the red angel comes into play with this, but it seems as though um, Ash and section 31 thinks that the red angel is bad news and a threat to Starfleet and Captain Pike, as well as Michael a little bit, seems to be more open-minded. Let, like, let's find out more about, sec about the red angel and why it's luring us around. Um, so that part was interesting to me. What about you? I, I cannot believe that I am saying this. I somewhat agree with section 31 when it comes to the Red Angel because the Red Angel, Ash is right. What, what happens if the Red Angel turns their, its power against Starfleet? Like right now we're believing because the acts are perceived good that it's a good person or a good entity but they lured starfleet there to bring the baul out out into the open so the red angel could like destroy its network and granted while that looks good on paper for the kelpians history has shown there's a reason why the baul did what they did granted it doesn't it doesn't make them right but we don't know what the kelpians can become with Starfleet technology and their aggression. Because like what we find out in this episode is like the Kelpian, what um, Saru survived makes the, turns him from prey to predator. Right. And he had like where his threat ganglia was, like now spikes come out, like little, and they like shoot at people and they can kill people. And it looks like it happens involuntary until he can control it. So who's to say what would happen if he's having an argument with someone and feels threatened and then kills them by accident? Right. So we don't really know long-term effects of this action. And Grant, this is Saru who's been with Starfleet for years, who has wanted to learn more and to be out and understand. And now everyone on his planet has a chance to do that. And we don't really know what's going to come of it. So I can understand their hesitancy um, because something with that much power and you don't know what they want can make you feel a little bit uh, hesitant about, are they just, because you, 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 like to go back to the, um, that, uh, to New Eden, um, he could have gave them technology and he left them in the dust. Granted, right. he saved them, but he could have given them technology and left them alone. Right. So I cannot believe that I say that I'm agreeing with section 31, but I don't know if I trust the Red Angel 100%. See, I think section 31 is scared of mm -hmm. the Red Angel because the Red Angel in the last at least three journeys, episodes, 
um, has really outed Starfleet for some bad decisions. In this case, Starfleet and the Bao made a decision about the destiny of the Kelpians, right? And that mm-hmm. they weren't going to interact with the Kelp and, le- and allow the Bao to, con- to have power over that planet. And so that was one thing that I think now it just got outed because of the Red Angel luring them there. And then also the spear had um, lots of knowledge over the years of things that are probably part of section 31 that they wanted to keep on the down low, but now is available in Starfleet's databases. And then also the civil war, I guess on earth and, um, and then the extraction to New Eden. Like there was, there's something, I just feel like they can't control the Red Angel. And so they're worried about that. And I think that's a valid fear. I think, I think that's a valid fear in the sense of what happens if Starfleet's doing something good and the Red Angel thinks it's bad and the Red Angel attacks because it's not within its plan. Right. And so like, that's the thing I, I sort of agree because at least with Starfleet, they have rules and regulations. You, they can be held accountable. Like they knew what the Ba'u were doing to the Kelpians, but they also knew they couldn't interfere because it went against, they can't force a planet to be a part of, like they can't interfere with the, a, planet, a planet's politics. Like that's their rule, like they can't. So granted as a whole, that decision seems bad on paper because you're literally leaving people to be slaughtered but at the same time, who's to say if you interfere with the Kelpians, but then you go to another planet and their issue, uh, choosing a side could make Starfleet rich. You can't, you can't do that. Like you have to stick to your rules um, regardless of the outcome because you can't change your, you can't make, you can't make special decisions for, uh, for people. I Everyone agree. has to be treated the same. And granted, it's a horrible decision, but is something they had to stick to. I agree, but Starfleet, or I should say more specifically, Commander Giorgio at the time, allowed Saru to join Starfleet. And I think that that then crossed the line to me because they had a deal with the bowel not to, to interfere. And so then, like, I don't know, this changed the dynamic. <laughs> I'm glad that Saru is part of Starfleet, but I don't understand why they allowed uh, Saru to join, even though there was this, this treaty, this understanding between them. Because Starfleet, the way, the way I viewed it, it wasn't Starfleet reaching out to Saru. It was Saru reaching out to Starfleet. Saru right. admits that he he took their he took that Baalu's technology and then reached out to Starfleet. And so it wasn't really like they were getting in the middle of it. Because technically Georgia was still wrong, but they weren't really getting in the middle of it because he didn't ask for weapons to help fight. He didn't ask for, he's like, like, take me with you. And she took him and taking him technically doesn't do anything else to the planet. It doesn't, he was one person. And I it still is her breaking the rules, which is why he said he was granted asylum, but it wasn't Starfleet making that first step. Starfleet didn't go down and go around the Ba'u and went straight to the Kelpians. A Kelpian went around and went straight to Starfleet. 
Right. But they didn't have to answer the call. They could have ghosted. They didn't have to like <laughs> follow up and go to the planet and, and make um, a deal with Saru who then I, I, Saru's family was then puzzled. So there was an impact there about with the loss of Saru and they were wondering, oh my goodness, we should definitely fear the bowel because Saru was looking up and now he's disappeared from us. So I think that continued the fear. Um, I was just, my first disappointment with prime Georgia was at this moment. <laughs> because she broke I the don't, rule. Yeah, she, she did broke break the, the rule. rule. And I wish Jacob from New Eden had the same opportunity because Jacob also uh, developed a device that sent out a signal and, and, and uh, USS Discovery was directed towards that signal and beamed down to New Eden and then met Jacob. And there was a whole other journey, yada, yada, yada. But in the end, Jacob wanted to know more about space. Pike didn't offer him the opportunity to join Starfleet like Giorgio offered Saru. And I wish that Jacob was just, I wish there was some equality there. That's all. <laughs> but it wasn't the same person. I it wasn't Giorgio. So it wasn't the same situation either, but yeah. that's the reason why there are rules. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, so I'm saying Giorgio was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So like she, and she was wrong in allowing Saru to leave the planet. Um, but at the same time, Saru was the one who reached out and went around the system. Starfleet didn't really break the system to get to him. So that's like why it was sort of different. It was just, they made contact. The Bowu wanted nothing to do with Starfleet. Saru tricked them into thinking someone like they were reaching out and it was him. And he was like, I need to, I need to get off this planet because I ain't trying to die. And Giorgio being the nice person she is, which also shows she doesn't always follow the rules, which sometimes comes back and bites you in the butt. She took them. And well, I love her. I love prime Giorgio. She broke the rules. Yeah. It's wrong. And Pike doesn't really break the rules. He bends them a little, but he doesn't really break the rules. Yeah. He, and he, I don't, it's, it's a hard decision. And this is why there are rules. <laughs> This is why there are rules. So that way different plant, you don't come into different things on each planet because it becomes right. this quagmire of issues of saying, well, when do we step in? Well, we don't know when we can step in. So we have to have this rule for everyone because it needs to be the same across the board. So that way no one can ever say we're, we're doing favoritism. Cause right. we find out that the reason the Ba'ul are treating the Kelpians this way is because 2,300 years ago, the Kelpians were killing the Ba'ul. They were wiping them out and the Ba'ul almost went extinct. And so they flipped the script and they became the, uh, the predators instead of the prey. And so right now we're looking at the Ba'ul as, oh my God, I can't believe you would slaughter these people. And now you realize, oh, it's because you were being slaughtered. Yeah. Oh, so like, you're really not the bad guys, but you are the bad guys. Like you went to the other extreme, like you became what you hated. But like, I get why you did it. It was still wrong. Right. But I get why you did what you did. Right, right. But in the end though, they did make this deal with Starfleet and then Saru kind of messed this all up on the bridge, stating that he was there as a Kelpian. He represents the Kelpian and he um, 
through. Doesn't agree with the bowel. And then the bowel was like, oh, you have a Kelpie in there. Then if you don't return Saru to the planet, we're going to kill off all Kelpians, which could lead to which could lead to genocide. So I was like, Saru, you just made this whole thing worse. (laughs) (laughs) And this goes to show, they didn't even know a Kelpian was off the planet. They didn't even know. (laughs) Like, Saru, you just made this worse. You just made this worse. (laughs) Like, so I understand your concerns with this episode. I think, though, it's an interesting look at Darwinism and um, survival of the fittest and how things change and evolve over time. On that note, I got to talk about something stupid that was done in this episode because you cannot have them be so smart and so stupid in the same sentence. Like it just, okay. So in this episode, they beam Saru and they beam Michael down onto the planet to try and like find find where the signal came from. And like they beam out in the open on a beach and they sit there get to talking about oh michael's like oh if this place wasn't a preserve it would be so beautiful like it's like a paradise and so he's like it is in many ways it is a paradise oh what's that big old thing standing in the middle oh it's a watchtower it watches everyone in the village oh and we beamed right in front of it and we're talking about it right in front of it for like a good five minutes so while it watches the fact that there is a human who is not supposed to be there on the planet. How? How can you be so smart and so stupid at the same time? Saru, you you knew what that thing was. It wasn't new because you told Burnham what it was. So you knew that there were watchtowers in every village. Why not have them beam you into the jungle? Or say, hey, we need to be beamed outside the sight line of a watchtower. Right. Because they can see us. Right. And you don't make it make sense. And then the part when they were on the bridge and Saru is told to leave by Pike and he's running to the transport room. And he says this line, um, Michael stops him, holds basically a phaser on him. And she's like, you you don't know what you're doing. And he says a line and or a variation of the dumbest line that's ever put in every single piece of literature. Whenever it's put into a piece of literature, if you hear this line, someone's about to make a dumb decision. When someone asks you, you don't know what you're doing. You're not thinking clearly. I've never been more sure or clearer thinking in my life. They are about to make a dumb decision. Whenever anyone says, utters that variation of the line, I've never been more sure of anything in my life, or I've never been more, or my thoughts have never been more clear. They are about to make a dumb decision. That is what is about to happen. And granted, while everything did work out for Saru in the end, he made a dumb decision. And you just cannot have logic and stupidity in the same sentence, like legit in the same sentence. And this episode had a lot of it for me. That's why I was like, I just, it was dumb decision after dumb decision after dumb decision. And I was just like, I, I, I can't too many tropes, too many, too many writing tropes happened in this episode that I just can't forgive. So I'm sorry. (laughs) we're understanding we're learning more about the the Achilles heel or the issues with each character now 
more than just Michael. We know that Pike earned an F in astrophysics. We're like learning about all of the issues <laughs> and they all have issues. Um, and that's what's also making them more of a family, I think, and bonding more because they're all learning about, oh. Uh, <laughs> well, they need to stop learning. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. No, they're, they are not perfect. But their flaws, I feel sometimes are outweighing their good. And it's being very, like this season is very heavily flaws outweighing the good right now that I'm so, that I'm seeing so far. Michael keeps making dumb decision after dumb decision. She makes more emotional rather than logical decisions. And the more time she tries to make an emotional decision, it just always ends up being a bigger issue than what it could have been if she tried to use logic. And then Saru, now that he no longer has his like threat ganglia thing, he's not thinking straight. They're having him be a super smart lughead who's being super emotional when he was never emotional. And not to say it's wrong to be emotional, but there's like a time and a place. And I feel like they're making them act like hormonal high school students with the way that they respond to stuff. And it's like, regardless of the fact that you no longer have fear, you still know the chain of command you still know that, hey, I can't uh, sit there and talk out of turn. Or I can't, um, just because I know I'm no longer afraid of the Ba'ul doesn't mean I still can't do things diplomatically. You can't go in guns blazing with Starfleet. We see how that happened with Michael. Yeah. So just don't make their flaws outweigh, like don't make their flaws contradict who they are. And that's what I'm just not that's what I feel like they're trying to do. They're making their flaws contradict who they are as a person. And I just, Saru's not an emotional, he still thinks logically. Granted, it's always been fear-based, but he can still think logically. Yeah. So don't I, make him just make logic go out the window and just run in fist blazing. Like that's not him. <laughs> right. I, right, maybe until now, right? Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> right. Or his, um, those spikes would come out blazing. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I also, I appreciate the fact that now we're getting more of a Kelpian cultural immersion because he was afraid to share even his language in the past. Like he studied lots of other languages, but did not want to share his own language. And so now I think the crew is learning more about him because he's the only Kelpian, I think, in Starfleet. And the crew is learning more about him. And I think that that will hopefully help him because I would love to see Saru as captain. I'm still on that. I'm still. <laughs> I would love to see that as well. But, but he, he ain't there yet. Right, right. I'm with you. I'm with you. But he also needed to stand up more than what he was doing before because he had so much fear. You can't, you have to be able to take risks as a captain. That's and true. so now he's able to take risks, but he also needs to know where to draw the line. And he doesn't. And he can't do everything. But I think it's stepping stones to get there. Um, I'm interested in this continued character journey because I also know that um, at some point in time, Captain Pike has to rejoin Enterprise. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just eager and hopeful that Saru and a non-human will be captain of Discovery. I, 
pre losing his threat ganglia, I would have been like, oh, Saru's good, close to becoming uh, captain. Post losing it, he's nowhere near it. This episode proves he can't control himself without something else controlling him. And he needs to fix that. I don't, I, I would love to see him as captain, captain, uh, captain as well. But if he can't control his emotions to the point where he can make log logical decisions and not get so angry that he's about to go toe to toe with his captain or like possibly a subordinate if they have a question that he doesn't like, it's not boding well for my dude. And so I'm just not. I agree with you. I agree. I agree. I, I think that, I, I think I already said it. Yeah, a captain needs to be able to to know where to draw the line. But I also think this goes to show Taru might need a psychiatrist. Hugh needs a psychiatrist. I think Michael Paul, needs a Tilly, Michael, that ship needs a counselor. And <laughs> yes, no, they need a counselor. Um, I am hopeful that the next episode we're going to get Spock because yeah. Michael at the end of this one said that she's going back to Vulcan. She needs to go home to Vulcan. And I feel like we're going to get a lot of dumb decisions from her next episode, because whenever she lets her emotions run her decision-making, she makes dumb decisions. So I think we're going to get a lot of more dumb decisions. I think season two is like a season of dumb decisions because <laughs> I just keep feeling like that's what they're doing. I'm just, yeah. So just um, my final thoughts, it's taking a long time to go to see Spock and I hope it's worth it. It's it better be. Ride. I agree. My final thoughts. Um, I need to see Hugh get his stuff together. I see, need to see Hugh slap the crap out of Ash. I need to see Hugh beat Ash. I need to see Hugh have some type of physical altercation or verbally put this man in his place so well. Because I know Hugh has the, has the vocabulary to verbally put this man in his place. I need to see it because if they don't, I'm going to be pissed. And then also, I agree with you. This whole uh, Spock better be worth it. And it better not be in the last second of the episode we finally see him. No, I need this entire next episode to be like Michael opens the door and Spock's there. It's like, ah, and like, I need a whole conversation. Great. And they, they strung us along. This will be the seventh episode next time. We need resolution and I need to see my boy. Anything else you would like to add to this episode? Nope. I think we said it all. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to us. And as always, I'm Andrea. And I'm Anika. And live long, and, live and, long prosper. and prosper. Hey guys, it's Andrea. Thank you for listening to the most recent episode of our podcast, Trekking and Beyond. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes. If you enjoyed listening to us, please go ahead and support us by clicking that support button in the episode's description. We greatly appreciate it. As always, live long and prosper.